If you are visiting Big Valley today, if you're from out of town or just new to Big Valley, a special welcome to you. Welcome to our family here. For those of you that are online as well as in the venue, a special welcome. Glad you're here. Glad that you, you made the Lord the first part of your week. This is the beginning of the week. Sunday begins the week. And uh, you all are here today, says, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. My name is Lonnie Skiles. I'm one of the pastors here at Big Valley Grace Community Church. I actually oversee the small groups that Joel had just talked about. Looking forward to meeting many of you. I'd like to see over 50 new groups start this next fall. We're going to be studying uh, as a church together the book of Job starting in late August. And we'll go through just up to November. And we'd love to see all of you connected into small life groups and studying the book of Job together. Uh, we're not going to go through every single chapter, but there's some key life principles throughout the book of Job that are good for us, and we're glad to, uh, but it's, it's, it's going to be an exciting time. We'd love to see you all connected into it. Uh, I'm co-teaching with Scott Elliott today, and Scott is our campus pastor over in the venue as well as over at the school. Uh, Scott, tell us a little bit what you do. What, what's some of your roles here at Big Valley? Sure. Well, really my, my goal is that in everything I do that I'm trying to help students to know the scriptures and, and live them out. And so that means at the school, I'm helping with our chapels and, and Bible department program. And then uh, I start off my week over in the venue. So hello to you guys over in the venue. It's awesome to be part of that community in there. And then during the summertime, I'm helping with our school of ministry, helping the interns as they uh, begin to discern their calling into ministry and, and kind of walk through some of the training pieces. Scott travels a lot in, in relationship to that responsibility. So he'll visit various college campuses. What are some of the campuses that you get to connect with where, the, you, where we get some of these interns? Well, a lot of our interns this summer are from Liberty University, uh, but I've done some recruiting at uh, Cal Baptist and Fresno Pacific and William Jessup and uh, a lot of great students and schools out there. That's yeah. really, that's good. And he leads some short-term ministry teams too out of the school. Uh, they went to Dominican Republic this last year and he's traveled extensively. So it's my joy and I watched Scott grow up here at Big Valley Grace and worked with his mom and dad in the area of missions and it's just been a, a delight to, and it's a real privilege today for us to be able to open up the word. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So go and take your Bibles. We encourage you always to bring a Bible, open it up. And if you do not have one, we have some available for you. Uh, just need to see us right after church. We'll go over to the altar room. We have free Bibles to give out. I think there are even some in the information center. But we want everyone to have a Bible and to be a student of the Word. We give out the New Living Translation. We'll be teaching from the New International Version. But a lot of good versions out there. But become a student of the Word. My preference is to have a Bible, though I have a lot of electronic stuff. It's hard to underline in electronics. But, uh, boy... And it's good to have a beat-up Bible, right? <laughs> and uh, get, get yours beat up, study it, mark in it, highlight it, and let God's Word uh, percolate deep into your life. And this particular story is just a great story. I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad loved the Lord, and, and that was the reason that got them back into church. They were uh, newly married and living a wild life, so to speak. And when I was born, somebody came to them and said, uh, surely you want your, your son to grow up with and make good friends and to hear about Jesus. And that got my mom and dad on a road to really following Christ with all of their heart, and I have been benefited from it. But it was in that context, and maybe some of you will identify with this, where I first heard the story of David and Jonathan. And I remember as a young man, very young, being so impressed with this friendship and this relationship, uh, I was inspired, Lord, I, I would like to be a Jonathan to somebody. I don't need to be first place. I'm, I'm happy to take a second or third spot 
But Lord, if I can be an encouragement to somebody, a help to somebody, to be there when they really need a friend, that's the kind of man that I would like to be. And, uh, and so this story has just been meaningful to both Scott and I as we've studied it. We're going to be reading this passage kind of together. And uh, it's, it's a lengthy section, but I want you to catch the full flavor of it. And for those of you who are the spiritual leaders of your home and you have young children, take these stories and teach it to them. There is so much value that is here. In fact, when I look at these stories, I first think about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says that all scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it, his word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I, I absolutely believe that. These are real stories. These are real people who lived many years ago. And every story in here is God-breathed. God has preserved this story. There were many other stories about David and Jonathan and life experiences that aren't recorded here. But God wants us to know these stories. And these stories are valuable to us, particularly for our young boys and girls or children growing up. They, They need to understand what true friendship is. Uh, True friendship isn't having a thousand friends on Facebook or Instagram or whatever tools that they're using. It's this life and life connection that the Lord would desire for of us each to have. And there are so many great principles that we're going to go through as to what really makes a great friendship that the Lord wants us to learn because he it isn't so much, Lord, bring great friends into my life. Lord, who can I be a great friend to? That's really where our first prayer should be. Scott had an interesting experience uh, um, not too long ago, this last year in his Bible class, about this very kind of thing. Why do we study these old stories? Scott? And we were in the, uh, the story of David, and we got to the section of David and Bathsheba and his affair that he had with her. And I was with seventh grade students, and so you can imagine that gets a little bit awkward. <laughs> and, uh, but one of them raised their hand, and they asked the question, why, why is this in here? You know, why is this story even in here? And the first thing I wanted to remind them is that all the stories included in Scripture, these are history. This is what happened. And the Bible doesn't try to hide the messy truth about people. And so when you look at a guy like David, it'd be easy for us to look at the positives in his life and to really idolize him. But God made sure to include David's failure also as a reminder that he, just like all of us, was a broken man, a sinful man. And uh, each of those stories, like 2 Timothy says, is here so that we can profit from it, so that we can learn from it and apply it to our life in some way. Love it. Just love it. There's a, a, a popular writer, Bridget Nicole, who said, anyone can, sh- can show up when you are happy, but the ones who stay by your side when your heart falls apart, they are your true friends. Mm-hmm. Any of you experience that truth? It doesn't take the wisdom of Solomon to recognize that, that uh, when stuff gets really messy, it's the real friends that show up at that time. And we're going to see this in David and Jonathan's life. Jonathan was a wonderful gift from the Lord. The Lord knew what was going to happen to David. He knew how he was going to be chased and his life was going to be threatened. And he knew that David needed a good friend. And Jonathan, who is a wonderful gift, and we'll see this as we uh, break this apart. Uh, I love Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in a time of need. And that, boy, isn't that true? And that would be something we should teach our children, to recognize what what true friendship is, and to recognize that a friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in a time of need. And may the Lord help us to be that kind of brother, that kind of friend. 
So we're going to look, this prepares us for 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, we're going to read it interactively here as we go through it. So just be patient with us as we go through it. But there's a lot of great stuff here in these pages. And we hope that you would take the, the notes that you're taking here today. Uh, the table topics, go home, you know, get some Chinese food or a Subway sandwich or something and go through some of these questions and interact as a family with them because uh, the Lord wants us to, to grow deeply in him through these, uh, these stories. So follow with me as we read through uh, this passage. I'll start and then Scott's going to do a little bit of the narration for the a bulk of chapter 18, but let's pick it up here in uh, chapter 18, verse 1. Just a, a prelude to this, David has just uh, slain Goliath. Uh, he was a young man, a teenager, when it took place, similar to the pictures that you saw uh, in the song that Tim uh, shared. And so everyone's excited. They've conquered the Philistines, and now he's having a meeting with Saul. That's where we pick up in 18 verse 1. So after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, who is Saul's oldest son, and probably was maybe, I'm guessing, at least 10 years older than Jonathan, or than David. And so he's, he's seeing a, his younger self. And right away, look what it says. They became one in spirit. They became a kindred spirit with David, and he loved David as himself. And we'll talk more about that. But boy, there's a lot of distortion today inferring that this was a homosexual love. This is not what's going on here. What you have here, and for those of you who uh, maybe have uh, friends who have been combat veterans or those who have been police officers or firemen who have similar responsibilities where the life is laid on the line, this is what I would call a warrior's love, a warrior's friendship. When you fight and you are back to back and your life is dependent upon your buddy next door, you leave out of combat, bonded together in a unique way that few of us would fully understand. And I've seen this. I was a chaplain uh, for several police departments back east, and I saw men rise to the occasion when one of the officers went down, commitment saying, I'm going to take care of your kids, as, whatever it costs me, I'm going to take care of your kids. That's what we're seeing take place here. Verse 2, from that day... Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. Verse 3. And Jonathan made a covenant. And this word covenant is a unique word. It means to cut a covenant. And the picture of this goes back to Genesis chapter 14 where God makes a covenantal promise to Abraham, an oath. And how he depicts it is they, they take an animal. It's, it sounds gross, but, but understand the nature of this. They, would, they took an animal and cut it in half, laid open the halves, and walked between the halves. And, the, and what they're saying is, may this happen or worse to me should I break my word and break my vow to you. May God do this to me or even worse should I let you down in this area. So recognize that when we talk about a covenantal promise that we're recognizing that God's witnessing this. He is seeing this. He's going to enforce this. I'm accountable to him. And we talk this way when we do marriages. I just married a young couple this last uh, yesterday. And we talk about the covenantal vows and promises they're making before God and all of these witnesses that we're going to love you till to, to, to death takes us home. And uh, that, so, that, so capture the flavor of this word. This is, this is not an easy pinky promise kind of thing. This is laying their life on the line, knowing that God is watching, covenantal promise. And so in verse three, Jonathan made this kind of covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And look what happens. Jonathan took off his royal robes. It's kind of like a uniform. Everyone can know that he was the number two guy. He was the next to on the throne. Watch what he does. 
He takes off his royal robes that he was wearing. He gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And he lowers himself and humbles himself and he gives them to David, transferring his uh, authority and his role to David. Scott? So as we continue, I'll kind of summarize what happens over the next chapter. Uh, But David returns home from battle and he's got this reputation now after killing Goliath. And so the people have this phrase that they keep saying. They say, Saul has killed thousands, but David tens of thousands. And so they've made him this hero and they've, they've raised his reputation. And so you can imagine what that begins to do in the life of Saul. And for Saul, he begins to become jealous of David. But not only that, he becomes afraid of him. And the scripture actually says he's afraid of him because he knows that the Lord was with David. And he recognizes that the Lord had left him. What a, what a tragic, tragic statement that Saul realized the Lord had left him. And it's because of his unfaithfulness. So David becomes this military commander. He's a hero to the people. And Saul wants to have an alliance with David. And so Saul offers David his daughter in marriage. And his hope is that by this, having this alliance, that David will continue to fight for him. And that by fighting, David is going to put himself in harm's way. And hopefully, in Saul's mind, hopefully David is going to get killed in battle. So he's offering up his daughter in the hopes that she'll marry someone who will die. Just imagine that. And so David declines, but then David ends up falling in love with one of Saul's other daughters. And so David would like to marry her, but he feels unworthy. Again, it's this great picture of David's character. He feels unworthy to marry the daughter of a king. So Saul, again, he's plotting, and so he thinks, all right, well, I'll set a price. I'll give you some stipulations, and if you meet this, you'll be worthy of marrying her. And so what does Saul do? He says, if you go and kill 100 Philistines then you can marry my daughter. And again, he's thinking, David's going to go out into battle, he's going to kill some of them, and then he's going to die. And so again, Saul is plotting David's death. So David goes out, he doesn't just kill 100, he kills 200. So for Saul, this plan has backfired. So now, Saul gets a little bit more direct, and he actually tells his servants, and he tells Jonathan, I want you to go and kill David. And so here is Jonathan. We, we see the result of this friendship that he has with David. Jonathan stands in the gap. Jonathan steps up to, to Saul, and he speaks to him, and Saul ends up taking an oath. He takes an oath that he will not kill David. And so it sounds like you know, Jonathan's done his, his duty as a friend, and, and that should be the end of the story. Saul's taken an oath, but we see that not long after that, Scripture says that an evil spirit filled Saul, and Saul tries to throw a spear at David and kill him himself. And so this oath that he took really wasn't uh, holding up. So then uh, Saul sends assassins to go and try and kill David in his house. And it's this great story where uh, David's wife now at this time, she does the old high school trick, you might remember this, where you you take a bunch of things and put them under the covers of your bed to make it look like somebody's sleeping. (laughs) Remember this trick? And then she goes one step further and actually says, well, David's sick. Well, none of that, you know, really works. But David runs away, he hides, and he ends up meeting with Jonathan. And he's asking Jonathan, Jonathan, why is your father trying to kill me? What have I done? And so Jonathan says, no, there's no way that he's trying to kill you. I I, I would know. He tells me everything. And, And in Jonathan's mind, his father took an oath. His father promised not to kill David. So why would he do this? And so David hatches a plan. 
He says, uh, you know, there's a feast coming up. It's called the New Moon Festival. And this was a time that the people would, would gather monthly as, as uh, they depended on the cycles of, of seasons and the moon for their harvest and things like that. They would gather for this feast, and David had a seat at the table. He was supposed to be at Saul's table celebrating this. And so David plans not to show up. So he tells Jonathan, here's the story I want you to tell. And then you're going to give this excuse as to why I'm not there and see how Saul reacts. And if he's fine with it, we'll know everything is okay. But if Saul reacts negatively, we'll know that he does want to kill me. And so he kind of leaves this plan with Jonathan, and he says, if I'm guilty, go ahead and turn me over to Saul and let him kill me. And we pick it up in chapter 20, starting in verse 9. So follow with us. You know, just turn the page over and follow with us. And, and Scott and I are going to interact here. Uh, interactively and so just as he has said David says if I'm guilty then kill me yourself why hand me over to your father and here's Jonathan's comments Jonathan says in verse 9 never Jonathan said if I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you wouldn't I tell you and David asked who will tell me if your father answers you harshly come Jonathan said let's go out into the field and so they went there and together and then Jonathan said to David by the Lord the God let's let's look at Jonathan's terminology here. What, uh, hear his heart. And David, Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day, uh, by this time, the day after tomorrow. And if he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you, David, as he has been with my father. But show me, David, unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not, David, ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David affirm his oath and out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. And this is, this is a significant uh, statement here because what Jonathan is asking of David is countercultural, countercultural to what the people would have experienced during that time. If you were to overthrow a king in, in, those, uh, in that region of the world, the standard practice was you would wipe out every person in that king's family. And so Jonathan understands that Saul, for all intents and purposes, is the enemy of David. And one day David is going to be king, and David would have the right to kill him and everyone in his household. And so this covenant, this is really significant, that Jonathan's asking David to spare his life. Look at verse 18. Then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon festival. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone of Azel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go, find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here. And then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, David, the Lord is a witness between you and me forever. And so David hid in the field. And when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. 
He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan, and Abner sat next to Saul. But David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought, surely something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Verse 28, Jonathan answered David earnestly, Ask, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. Jonathan's talking to Saul. And he said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. And you can just see this threat that David represents to Saul. But not only to Saul, but in Saul's mind, to Jonathan and his future kingdom. And so he's, he's intimidated by David. I think the person who wrote this... Um probably was kind in his words about Saul, about uh, you son of a perverse woman. He probably said something a little bit more uh, distinct than that. (laughs) Verse 32, Jonathan responds to his angry father. Why should David be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. Can you imagine? being a son and having your father try to kill you. He was very angry. And on that second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? And then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. And the boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all of this. Only Jonathan and David knew. And then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. We see this incredible love that these two men have for each other. And as Lonnie was referring to, there's so many people that have tried to twist this around to somehow imply that that David and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship. And we see so many evidences in Scripture that that's absolutely not true. Uh, when it talks about them kissing, this is a, a normal custom, even in, in today's culture in the Middle East, that when you greet someone, uh, that you would kiss them on the cheek. And then uh, we have the, the key verse that they kind of point to is in Second uh, Samuel one twenty six. It's after Jonathan has died. And David says about Jonathan, your love for me was, was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. And again, they try and twist that around. But what he's saying there is, is the kind of love that a woman would have for her child. He says, we had a more intense bond than even that. 
And as Lonnie shared, it's that sense of being a warrior, fighting in battle. These men had been through it all. But we see that David was a person that uh, was married to several different women over the course of his life and and what happened with him. Uh, But we have a different word even for love used here than would be used in that kind of intimate relationship. And so all the evidence points to the fact that this is a friendship that we're talking about. And David clearly followed the Old Testament laws. And and one of the laws was was against a homosexual relationship. We know David fails, but it's later on and it's in his affair with a woman. Look at verse 42. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, David, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. Let me pray for just a moment. Lord, I just thank you so much for the powerfulness of this story, for, Lord, how it impressed me even as a young man. And, Lord, I know that you would desire for each of us to be to have the character of Jonathan that would lay ourselves down and, and be glad to take second place to, so that someone else could be first. Father, would you help us to be men and women of great character and encouragement to those that are around us. So, Lord, open your word to us as we walk through it here today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So let's look and let's take some lessons from this friendship. What is required of a great friendship? The first thing that I see, in fact, go back to chapter 18 as I just kind of break this apart a little bit and just make some observations that I see in this passage of Scripture that a great friendship is costly. The first thing that I see is that there's a oneness in spirit where uh, Jonathan is not the por- most important person in the room. Uh, and look at verse 1. It says, After David had finished talking with David, Jonathan became one, kindred in spirit with David. They were united in friendship. They were looking at the world the same way. Their passions were the same. Their love for the Lord was the same. Everything about them was one. When, when Jonathan, as an older man, looked at David, he saw a younger self and said, Man, this is This kid, I want to be on his team. God is with him. He loves the Lord as I love the Lord. He trusts the Lord as I trust the Lord. I want to spend as much time as I can with this this young man. So there's a oneness in spirit. Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. And Jonathan sensed that call. The the Lord is developing this relationship. Uh, The Lord loves David. He knows what David's about to be faced. He knows what he needs in his life, and we'll see this as we walk through this, how David becomes a, uh, how Jonathan becomes a friend in a, a real unique time of need. The second thing I see is that there's a, a loss of self where, where Jonathan is willing to lay himself down, to divest himself of any roles and responsibilities. He easily could have been the one to have been served, but he seeks to serve. And I also see here in verse 4, look at 18 verse 4, that personal sacrifice where Jonathan takes off his robes he was wearing. He gives it to David without a second thought, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. True friendship is costly. I divest myself of myself and my rights, my demands, to seek and to serve another. The second thing we see here is that a great friendship is founded on love. These two men loved each other. They loved each other more than their own self. And and we see in Scripture that example that Jesus gave us, that there's no greater love than a person who lays down their life for a friend. It's love that serves as the foundation of a true, godly friendship. A lot of our relationships, and especially in in our culture today, they're relationships of utility. I'm I'm a friend with this person because I, I get something out of it. And that's not what we see here. It's a total selfless 
love. And what does love look like? We, we see all kinds of descriptions of love in Scripture. Love is patient. And we see incredible patience with these two men. Imagine the years and years that David is on the run from Saul and Jonathan's in the middle of it all. Jonathan is absolutely honoring to his father and at the same time loyal to David. And so he's a friend with him in, patient, in patience, waiting for the day that David's going to become king. But imagine how long and, and draining that would be. But he knew the end goal and what was going to happen. The second thing in this is that love is also, it believes the best. Jonathan, when he was first faced with, with Saul's anger, and Saul was wanting to kill David, Jonathan believed the best about David. Jonathan didn't jump to conclusions or even listen to what his father was saying about David. Jonathan knew David's character. He knew him for his reputation and, and the, the faith that David had in God. And so Jonathan had the best uh, view of David. And how often, you know, I, I think of this example of when you, when you show up late to something and you have all these excuses and, and things and, and reasons in your mind why you're late and it's okay, but somebody else shows up late and sometimes we automatically assume, well, they're late because they must have stopped at Starbucks or, you know, <laughs> something like that. But love believes the best. It assumes the best about the other person. And then the third thing is it perseveres through the worst. This friendship persevered through difficult times when, when their lives were literally on the line. And it's just incredible to think about their example. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. It's our hope that as you go home today, you'll look up these verses and underline them or or make notes on them. Spend some time dwelling on these verses. There's there's some great things here from God's word that will encourage us. This third aspect, I think, is very, very significant. And I know that as we live about our lives, uh, that this maybe hasn't given maybe the prominence that maybe... Uh, it ought to because we can have friendships of all different kinds you have the high school buddies and all these kind of things but this third thing I think really sets it apart and I know this third aspect has um, is what I really truly look for and has been most meaningful to me and that a true and a great friendship is Christ-centered and I see this in David and Jonathan's relationship we didn't read this passage but flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 23 at this point David is being chased by Jonathan's father, Saul. When Saul isn't fighting Philistines, he's out trying to destroy David. And it's real interesting as you read it, as, uh, and as you look at pictures of the uh, desert of, of Zith and, and Horish, it's an ugly place. And Saul would be on one side of the mountain, and David would be on the other, like a cat and a mouse. And, and they would just kind of keep circling the ridge, and, and Saul could, couldn't find them. But it's a, a horrible place to live. And, and uh, in fact, write down Psalm 31 and go home and look at it. Time doesn't allow us to look at it. But David recounts uh, his wilderness experience in that psalm. And as you read that psalm, and some of you have personally have been in a desert situation in your own life, and there's a sense of despair, there's a sense of loneliness. He's, he, in fact, David writes in Psalm 31, even my friends don't want to associate with me. Even my family is saying, let's don't talk about David. Uh, He is a lonely, lonely man. And in chapter 23, God in his grace sends Jonathan to minister to David. Look what happens. uh, Look what happens there in verse 17. It says, David, uh, in fact, let's back up to 15. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come uh, come out to take his life. 
And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David. You know how risky that was? Well, he went to David at Harish, not a very pretty place. And Jonathan helped David find strength in God. He says to him, David, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay hand on you. Why? Because God's with you, David. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father knows this. The two of them, again, made a covenantal promise before the Lord. And Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. Boy, a Christ-centered friendship brings encouragement. I don't know if you've been in dark times in your life, but um, we have. My wife and I have. And it was, it's, it was such an encouragement for us as we were going through our journey with cancer to receive phone calls from various ones even here in this congregation uh, where somebody, uh, just out in the middle of the day, somebody said, you know, I just felt like I needed to call you. And we get this phone call, and it was a friend I hadn't heard from for years. Says, Lonnie, I just want you to know that my wife and I are, are praying for you and, and Nancy as you go through this journey. And there'd be scriptures that would be shared. And, and one of the wonderful promises in Jeremiah 29, where, the, where it's good to be reminded that the Lord says, I know the plans that I have you. It's not for calamity. That's not what you think this is about. But it's for a future and a hope. Just wait upon me. Watch what I do. And no one can do that unless you have a common bond in Christ. So a great friendship is Christ-centered. It brings encouragement. It is spiritual. It is Christ-based. We recognize that our help alone comes from the Lord. We share that together in common. And then there's accountability. Recognizing the accountability isn't just this horizontally, but we're accountable to God. That he, they're making this oath. Look, look what he says here. We, that we, helped him, we helped him find strength in God. And the two of them, verse 18, made a covenant before the Lord. Why would they do that? Because the Lord sees everything. He knows every heart. Uh, he's able to move mountains. He, there's nothing that he can't do. That we are, are in his hands. And if he stands for us, who could ever stand against us? It's good for us to exchange those words. It's good for us to encourage one another in the word. And so how can that be if we do not have a bond together in Christ? And it would be my hope that each one of us not only would be this kind of person, but the Lord would also bring folks like this in our life who have share a common bond in Christ and they refresh us in Christ together in the times when we're most low and the times are most tough. Scott? You know, the last thing that jumped out at me as we were studying this, this text, I don't know that I'd ever really even seen this before, but a great friendship is bigger than a person. It's bigger than a person. We see that it includes their legacy. Long after Jonathan has died, David wants to make sure that people remember who he was. And it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan and ordered the men of Judah to be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jashar. So they wanted to make sure that the people heard this and they, they sang it and they knew it because it included the legacy of not only Jonathan but also Saul. Even though Saul was David's enemy, David always recognized that this was God's appointed king. And even though he failed, he still played a role in Israel's history that was critical. And so Jonathan and Saul are remembered in song and in, in writing as well. And then not only does it include their legacy, but a great friendship includes their family. You know, that, that covenant that David and Jonathan made. David had promised that he would not wipe out the family of Jonathan. And so we read in uh, 2 Samuel 9, 1, David asked, 
Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David wants to make sure that Jonathan's family is taken care of. And sure enough, Jonathan has as a son, his name is Mephibosheth, and you'll find that in the popular names of this next year for baby names. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, but David finds out about him, and Mephibosheth is a cripple, and David, just the generosity and his heart, he welcomes him into his home, he sits him down at his own table, and he takes care of him for the rest of his life. What an incredible example. And we see that even in the friendship between the disciple John and Jesus. As Jesus is on the cross, he looks to John, and he says, behold your mother. And he wants to make sure that John is going to take care of Mary after he's gone. What an incredible example of love that extends beyond a person, but to their whole family. We're going to wrap this up. And when we do these kind of studies, it's good for us to ask, well, so what? what? What does this all mean? Paul says that the things that we wrestle with and fight against are not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? We understand there's a great spiritual battle. The enemy has schemes for each one of us. He wants to bring uh, depression into our life. He wants us to bring distance. And one of the great tools that he uses is isolation. That the enemy of the greatest commandment to love one another is that we isolate ourselves away from one another. It is not a strength to face life alone. Uh, it is not, a, uh, it is not a, a character strength to be isolated and to say, I can handle this, I don't need any help. In fact, in those kind of situations comes deeper depression, deeper anxiousness, uh, and, uh, and deeper loneliness. And the Lord does not want that in each of our lives. We need each other. We were made to connect with one another. That's why our life groups and our growth groups are so significant. It binds people together. They find that they have Christ together in common, and they pray with one another. They encourage one another. They help, they help one another. Scott, take the next one. Well, so the question we would, would ask is, do I have deep spiritual friendships? And maybe this week I'd encourage you to look through your contacts, look through your, your phone, see who are, who are the people you come into contact with regularly, and ask the question, does my friendship with them reflect the kind of friendship that David and Jonathan had? Not to say that every friendship should have that, but that should certainly be a goal that we're striving for, is developing those deep spiritual level friendships. And so the second part of it is what effort can you make this week to be a friend to someone else? It, it is real easy, particularly after a message like today, to come and say, Lord, give me a friend like this. Here I say, give me a friend like this. When our first prayer ought to be, Lord, would you help me to be a friend like this? Let's be first ready to give, and let's watch what the Lord does in response to that. I love the passage in Matthew chapter 6, I think it's verse 33, that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that all the things that others worry about, that God will provide. If I seek to do what he wants me to do, God will be the provider, and he will meet my needs for the, the friendship. Let's be, let's be the one first to say, Lord, help me to be this kind of person. As we end, I just want to share with you a story. I had a, a mentor of mine who was leading us in a seminar, and he had us all write down a list. He said, write down the names of people who would call you their friend. And so we're all thinking through the people that you know, we know that would call us friends and making our list. And he asked us to look at that list. And he said, how many of you put Jesus on that list? It's just this great moment to stop and think because we who were once enemies of God 
Jesus looks at us, and in John 15, 15, this is what Jesus said. He said, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. And so Jesus looks at us, and for those of us who have a relationship with him, we are friends. We are friends with him. And so would we seek to model to others the friendship that we have in Christ and build those friendships with those around us. We're going to pray, and uh, we'll be done here when we pray. Uh, Scott and I my, and my wife, Nancy, will be up here in the front. We'd love to meet with you. If you're visiting Big Valley, we'd love to meet with you. And, and we do want to connect with everyone. If we haven't connected with you very well yet, uh, we'd love to shake your hand. And we also want to pray with you. There will be also others in the altar room right over here. Because I know messages like this stir in people's hearts. And there's no better thing to do than to join another brother and sister in Christ and to cast all of our cares upon him and to pray for one another. And that's available to any one of us right there in the altar room. Scott and I and my wife here will be here to pray as well. But uh, we love you. And uh, we want God to really work in a great and mighty way. Scott, why don't you close us in prayer, would you please? Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives, Lord. We thank you for the friendship that you extend to us. Lord, even when we were completely unworthy, Lord, in our sinful state, you looked upon us and you loved us and you chose to die for us to demonstrate that greatest act of friendness. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And, Lord, would we be intentional this week about evaluating the relationships in our life that we would be a true friend to others and build friendships that encourage one another and build us up that we might better live the life that you call us to, God, that we would live out uh, your kingdom on earth as the body of Christ. Thank you for this day, Lord, and we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Lord bless you this week.